It's Thursday, September 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Supernova and Rule Breakers. Back, second day in a row, Aaron Bush. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It must be a record. I <laughs> it's a record for you. Indeed. But you know what? We're giving the people what they want. They want more Aaron <laughs> Bush. The people have spoken. We're going to talk home assistance and the bidding war for Toshiba, or at least part of Toshiba's business. Uh, we're going to start, though, with some earnings from United Natural Foods. Uh, fourth quarter profits came in higher than expected, the stock up 9% this morning. And United Natural Foods, one of those businesses that people have probably encountered even if they don't realize that this is a, a primary distributor for Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the quarter was interesting. And obviously, what most people are looking at is 35% of the company's sales in 2016 was from Whole Foods. And so, how exactly does all this big Whole Foods, Amazon acquisition change what's going on with United Foods? And so far, at least on this, this quarter, which is the first quarter, or at least partial quarter that Whole Foods and Amazon are together. Um, United Foods kind of bucks the worries that investors had put out there. Um, sales increased about six percent. Gross margin slightly increased. Net income increased twelve percent. I don't think the expectations were very high in the first place, um, but these results are more positive than not. I think if we look backwards, um, I think we kind of have to to be clear in saying that growth still has decelerated over the past several years. Margins still have trended down over the past several years, and the company is still pretty much entirely reliant on acquisitions for growth. Um, but given the circ- the today's circumstances, um, they're doing okay. This is, uh, I think, in some ways similar to a big part of the conversation that we had the other day on uh, in the wake of Apple's. Event and we did a, a Facebook Live, and it was myself, uh, Dylan Lewis, who is the technology host for Industry Focus on Fridays, uh, Eric Bleeker, Tony Arster from Motley Fool Funds. And so, part of what we talked about was the ripple effect of Apple unveiling the new phones. Because while Apple is uh, first and foremost a company that naturally we all focus on, as investors, we know they're not. Making everything that goes into the phone, so we want to know well who are the suppliers, who's in, who's out, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And as you said, I mean this uh, this was one of the ripple effects of Amazon buying Whole Foods. Like wait, uh, you know, okay, we know what it means for Whole Foods, good for them. But in terms of United Natural Foods, there was a, a decent amount of concern. Yeah, and I think it's still up in the air. Overall, I'm not too worried in the sense that. Amazon is going to allow new avenues for growth online um, on top of in-store. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think that there is a, a decent amount to worry about. These brands aren't going to leave Whole Foods overnight. But I do expect two things to happen. For one, um, yes, Amazon will open up new revenue opportunities. I mean, I've already received emails giving me free delivery on two-hour Prime with Whole Foods. Um, so they're already pushing it, and any supplier that relies extra on Amazon to sell online is almost definitely going to succumb to margin pressure. Like that's just going to happen unless they have a truly amazing brand. But these, like a company like this, has a lot of brands, which helps for leverage. But I don't know if it like really stands out. Um, and then further consolidation across the entire industry could do the same too, which could be a further ripple effect from this as others try to band together. And then second. Amazon is notorious for creating its own 
private label brands. We see it online all the time with non-food items, and like I don't even know how many there must be at this point. Thousands, probably. Amazon Basics, you're talking about? Sure, and I think even beyond that a little bit too. Um, but that's almost definitely going to happen in the food category because they're going to be operating. Because why masters. wouldn't they? Exactly. <laughs> um, so I think. What that means for external suppliers like United Foods is that to remain successful, they'll have to fight and win against lower-priced goods, um, and make sure that their brands are strong enough to demand attention and a premium. And I don't think most will. Let's move on to Toshiba. This is the huge multinational company based in Tokyo. They have, I mean, they're kind of like GE. They've got so many divisions: consumer electronics, appliances, office equipment, power systems. Toshiba is selling their memory chip business, and it's the the drama is kind of ratcheting up here as as we get down to it. They say they want to close the deal by the end of the month. Apple is bidding for this. Dell is bidding for this, and. Explain to me how Western Digital figures into all of this, because Western Digital is bidding for this business, and yet they're simultaneously a part owner now? Do I have that right? Right. So, I think um, backing up just a little bit um, could help provide some context. So, earlier this year, Toshiba's nuclear unit went bankrupt, and so they're just scrambling (laughs) They're just scrambling for money <laughs> at the moment. So what happens then? They just are like, well, we're just going to shut down the power plants and just hope for the best. I'm not entirely sure what happened, but I think it was pretty sudden. Um, and so what that means is that their their shareholder equity turned negative. But in order for them to not get delisted from the Tokyo Stock Exchange, they have to turn it positive. So in order to turn it positive, they're selling this business unit. Um, which is the NAND flash memory chips, which are important in pretty much all devices today across the entire um, tech ecosystem. Um, and whoever ends up buying this is going to spend somewhere in the neighborhood of eighteen to twenty billion dollars to get it. Oh yeah, so there's a big price tag. Like this technology is really important. Um, so I think that the tensions are a bit higher now, also because there's been shortages in the industry. So there's a bit of a, a scramble to get control. Um, as well. And so there have been three main groups, not even necessarily companies, but groups looking to acquire Toshiba. The first one is just a company, and that's Foxconn. And I don't think that's going to happen because Japan doesn't want its IP leaked into China. Um, the third, I mean, the second group um, would be Western Digital and KKR. Um, I don't think Western Digital can just purchase the company outright. I do think that um, Western Digital believes that they have some rights. Which are probably going to be debated, um, but that is looking less likely. That groups, and third and most likely is the group led by Bain, which includes Apple and Dell and Seagate and a couple others. Um, right now, Toshiba has a non-binding agreement um, to acquire, so it's probably it's probably going to happen. But the bidding war could still totally take place. But what's really interesting to me, though, is out of that 19 billion, Apple. Um, looks to be funding about three billion of that, which in the history of Apple is about on par with the largest acquisition it ever made, which was Beats. Um, so I think that shows how important this is to Apple. Um, they want more control. They've already had to raise prices on the the iPad Pro, kind of behind the scenes because of this particular shortage. Um, but most importantly, they want Toshiba to stay competitive with Samsung. Who is the third largest um, maker of this NAND flash memory chips? Um, so ultimately, I think it'll go in that direction, and it'll be a small win for Apple. But 
it hasn't been determined yet. Why wouldn't Apple just buy it outright? I mean, I know that uh, obviously it's we're talking about Apple spending three billion dollars versus call it twenty billion dollars, but they've got the money, right? Well, I suspect that Apple doesn't get too deeply involved with the manufacturing piece of it. And when they do, they do it for them, not for everyone else. Um, so I have a feeling they don't want to get in the game of spending money to help make chips for other people as well. That said, one really underrated and undernoticed part of Apple's keynote and Apple in general is just how much of a monster its own internal chip unit has become. Um, every year, a small handful of Apple suppliers just crumble <laughs> and wither away because Apple decides to move some piece of the semiconductor technology internally. And it's superior. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen in this case. Um, but by owning a part of it and becoming more connected in that web, um, they'll have greater say over how the technology itself evolves, but also they'll be able to work more closely, I probably with Toshiba, to boost integrations with everything else that they have, which is also really important. You can follow our show on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle. Aaron's Twitter handle is at AaronBush100. And uh, I tweeted out on the MarketFoolery feed last week. Um, you should definitely follow Aaron Bush, but only if you want to get smarter as an investor. And it was, um, you've been doing a lot more tweeting lately, I have to say. I, I mean, I enjoy following you on Twitter, but I'm enjoying it more lately just because you're. You're putting out more tweet storms, and I want to talk about one. And I said, said on the, I wrote on the Market Foolery feed like, oh, we're absolutely going to have Aaron on to talk about this. And you had, you had tweeted a bunch of stuff that I found very interesting about home assistants. Um, Google has their home assistant. Amazon has the Echo. Microsoft has the uh, what, Cortana. Cortana. And right. and uh, Apple has the what the HomePod. The HomePod, right? Um, and. You had touched on something that um, I hadn't really thought through very clearly, and once I, I saw where you were going, I thought, "Oh yeah, no, this is Aaron's doing a nice job of sort of poking holes in assumptions that whether we think we have them or not, we actually do have them." And that is the assumption that these large tech companies have these home assistant devices, and they all are aiming for the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. They all have the same strategy. They all have the same tactics. And uh, I want to delve into what you had touched on on Twitter, which is, no, they don't. The, the only thing that is similar is that they all have this little device. They'd love you to buy it and put it in your home. And there's a way to activate it by saying a name or a word or whatever like that. Um, let's just go through them one by one. When you look at Apple and sort of what they're trying to achieve, like how, how do you... How do you view these, and um, to the extent that you would bet on one to succeed more than the others, which way would you go? Right. Well, I think the the strategy and tactics lens is particularly interesting in general. Just as all of these tech titans, you know, become more powerful and try doing more things um, with Apple, particularly. Um, really, their ultimate strategy is just to build the best software ecosystem and use that. To sell more high-margin iPhones, and if they can sell more iPhones, then people will probably buy other things. But everything circles around the iPhone, so that's their ultimate strategy. And so, the tactic of the Home Assistant, which you could just say is the HomePod, I personally think that's much more defensive than offensive. They're seeing everyone else doing it, so they feel like they probably have to do something. If they're going to do it, they're going to 
make it higher quality in some way, better speakers, better something, just so they can charge the Apple premium. But ultimately, oh, they're definitely charging more than oh, than Amazon definitely. is for the Echo. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and that's just Apple. Oh, that's um, but I mean, the, it's powered by Siri, which. The more interesting story there is that that runs their entire operating system across all of their devices, their, the voice assistant piece of the operating system. So the, the story here as the home assistant is really that it's just a piece of the overall device voice assistant. So, so there's that. I mean, kind of. Do you want me to work through the list a little sure. bit? Sure. Okay. So, I mean, Amazon. Amazon probably has the largest strategy goal of all of them. It just wants to take as large of a piece of consumption, essentially GDP, as possible, which is about the broadest goal that you could have. Um, and so, what they're doing with with Echo. I don't want to say the A word, but the A word. Yeah. <laughs> we we got a couple of emails about that because uh, you know. One thing that you can do with all of these, I, I I know you can do it with with the Google Home Assistant and with Amazon. I'm assuming you can also do it with uh, the Apple one. I don't know about Microsoft, but let's just hope for the best. Is uh, you can listen to these podcasts, any Motley Fool podcast, you can just say, "Hey, insert name of device, uh, play Market Foolery," and it'll play. But what a couple of listeners pointed out to us uh, was that if you uh, actually say, as Aaron said, the A word, uh, A L. EXA, you know what I'm talking about. If you say that it act, and someone is listening to Market Foolery on an Amazon Echo, it activates the device and screws up the feed. So we try to call it by its proper name, the Echo. Yes. So Amazon really just wants to take as large of a chunk of consumption as possible. And the A word really is just designed to be the operating system of the home, which is really important for Amazon because they don't control a mobile operating system, which is really the central function of many of these other companies. Um, and there is a difference between Echo and the A-word, um, in the sense that the Echo is built on top of the broader um, tech foundation, and other devices can also be added to the Echo, and others are going to make it. Um, so what's really important is really just spinning that prime flywheel through getting this out in whatever which way to empower people just to use it whatever way possible. Um, Microsoft they're, they probably have the smallest goal in terms of strategy, which is really just to be the center of your work. They just want you to work with Microsoft more. And so Cortana is just meant to be an improvement of Office 365. That's essentially their entire um, strategy and the tactic that goes to that. And then Alphabet, really all that they, like their ultimate strategy is just to collect and leverage data as much as possible to then figure out how to sell you better ads and make more money off of that. And so, to the extent that the Google Assistant um, is the operating system of the home or works in um, mobile operating systems, that really is just serves to capture more data and serve better ads. That's that's really it. So we were chatting before we started taping. You mentioned you have an Amazon Echo, but you don't use it at all. Yeah, I mean, I did a little bit at the beginning, just for like timers and alarms, maybe music occasionally. But then I moved. And I just never plugged it in, and I haven't really missed it that much. So I, I expect the the evolution to continue, where where like more functionality is added, and the, even the form factor of what these look like changes to be more useful to people in different ways. But yeah, I don't use it that much. But I, I'll, I'll just also say one interesting thing about this too is that because these companies have different strategies, those different strategies also determine how they partner 
with each other. And so Google, for example, no one wants to partner with Google because no one wants to give Google more data because that's just giving up a competitive advantage to them. We saw already that um, Cortana and Amazon partnered because those companies, their strategies don't overlap at all. It's just pure upside for both of them to be able to call on each other. Um, and Apple stands alone just because that's what Apple does. Um, and so, if I had to choose, kind of think through out of all of these, like who's going to win? I think it's important to understand that each one of these does serve its own niche to some extent. But really, what is most important here is the network effects. And so, I think I think we'll see that those that have the largest network effects will compound on themselves because it's only a piece of a broader strategy. And the more it becomes embedded in that broader ecosystem. Whatever it is, the more it's going to start to take market share and mind share, and to that extent, I'd probably say that Amazon is definitely winning, and they're definitely not making money on these devices just to get them in as many homes as possible. But because they don't have the mobile operating system piece of it, there's a huge gap there. So I think we're a long ways out from figuring out like what the end of this looks like. But it, that tactics and strategy lens is just so interesting. Um, for home assistants, but also you could extend it to like, why are all these companies investing so much in video? Like, why why do they all care about music so much? So this this lens can be used on each of these, and it it really opens up just interesting analytical depth to thinking about these companies. It is going to be an interesting space to watch, and I think it's also clear, given your own personal experience and and everyone's experience is their own. I don't have any of these devices in my home. Uh, but listening to you talk about it tells me that they all have some work to do because, as you said, all you have to do is plug it in. This is not, oh, I moved to a new place and now I've got to get cable hooked up so I have to carve out a five-hour window so I can be at home and meet the cable folks when they come to hook up my cable. No, all you have to do is get it out of whatever box it is <laughs> in your, you know, or in the back of your closet and just find a plug for it. But you're like, eh, I don't know. I don't really miss it. I'm still optimistic. I, I mean, Amazon. <laughs> oh, I'm optimistic too. I just think that's telling. Yeah, Amazon has already talked about kind of a 2.0 version of this, um, where it adds a screen, and if you have something like that, maybe it has more usage. So I totally expect that I'll be adopting whatever is next, and I'll totally be a strong user of whatever the longer term version is. But right now, just just watching and waiting all of the the action. When I was in New York last week for the the podcast Upfronts and and watching some of the other uh, presentations that went on from other uh, podcast publishers and ad networks and that sort of thing, uh, Gimlet Media, uh, WNYC, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, it was interesting to me that there were a couple as part of their presentations talked about not just new podcast programming that they were putting together. But programming that they were starting to produce specifically for home assistants. Interesting. So short form programming that is aimed at. Uh, one example was uh, uh, families with young children in the morning, and it's a busy time. Kids are getting ready for school, having breakfast, all that sort of thing. And so short form programming to engage your children and get their brains moving and and thinking and and that sort of thing. So it's. Uh, it, it's definitely, and as, as you indicated, particularly with Amazon, uh, it, people are more open to partnering with them. Um, in part because uh, they're not looking, they're not looking for the data in the way that, say, for example, Alphabet is. Mm-hmm. All right, 
couple of housekeeping notes before we wrap up. Uh, if you're keeping track, shares of Equifax are now down 33% in the past five days. <laughs> and our guest on Motley Fool Money this weekend is going to be Nell Minow. We're definitely going to be talking about Equifax, as I think uh, Jim Cramer said on CNBC this morning. Uh, what do you have to do these days to get fired? Like, at, what, <laughs> at some point, you, you really feel like someone should be losing their job over at Equifax. And who knows, maybe they will. Um, uh, this is uh, a housekeeping note, not just for listeners of this podcast, but, but any Motley Fool podcast. We have new logos that are coming, new podcast logos that are being uploaded. So, if, uh, if you look down at your phone or your computer and you see a brand new logo for Market Foolery or Industry Focus or any of our shows, please don't be alarmed. It's just brand new logos that we finally got around to uploading. And last but not least, uh, thank you to longtime listener Fred Gaddis, who, now that I think of it, was one of the listeners who warned us about saying the A word during the podcast. But Fred sent his annual invitation for his Fredtoberfest beer festival, which is later this month. And rather than just send an email, uh, Fred sent uh, a letter uh, that came inside a box. That was filled with microbrew beer from the greater St. Louis area. So, wow. thank you, Fred. You have made a lot of people here at Fool HQ happy. So, thank you for that. Aaron Bush, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>